Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's May the 19th in San Francisco. Lunchtime, lovely day out here. And the news, as so often over the last 10 or 20 years, is dominated by a certain Mr. Jeffrey Bezos. Uh, millionaires now, the, the richest man in the world. He is. Uh, some of the less rich men, but nonetheless rich, so-called patriotic millionaires, um, are demonstrating outside his home um, in favor of certain tax increases. Uh, Bezos is also in the news. He's building a super yacht, uh, half a billion dollar super yacht, so big, I'm quoting this Axios uh, headline, that it needs a support yacht with a helipad. Um, the seats on Jeff Bezos' rocket going, um, I think, to Mars or somewhere out of uh, the Earth is going for $2.2 million and counting. Uh, meanwhile, they, the Gates, who are getting divorced like Bezos did a couple of years ago, are using Bezos' lawyers. Um, and Amazon is in talks to buy uh, uh, Amazon, which is, of course, Bezos' I don't know whether we would call it old company or new old company, as in talks to buy the MGM studio for $9 billion, uh, MGM owning uh, the James Bond brand. Perhaps Jeff Bezos is preparing himself to be the next James Bond, judging from his, um, his photogenic, his new photogenic appearance. Uh, in all seriousness, though, Amazon remains in the news. They're crushing the unions. Story today about Amazon sending some of their workers in New York. Uh, safety warnings about unions to stop them joining the union. So what to make sense of all this? Well, as it happens, we have a new book uh, on Amazon by the world's leading authority on Amazon, Brad Stone. Uh, the new book is Amazon Unbound. It's the second volume. Not sure if it's the final volume in, Be in, in Stone's um, narrative of, of Amazon's rise and rise. Uh, uh, the first uh, book was called The Everything Store. Uh, and I, I actually interviewed Brad Stone uh, seven years ago, November 2013, actually more than seven years ago, about the old book. So it's a real honor to have the, uh, uh, the great... Um, Brad Stone back on the show. Brad, we can't keep on meeting every seven or eight years. Need to do I was this just, more often. I was, I was just going to remark, Andrew, look how young we look in that photograph from uh, seven or eight years ago. And, and here yeah. we are again talking about Bezos, and he's even richer and more powerful now. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, 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 we actually, we don't look as good as Jeff Bezos, but I think we've done all right over, certainly you've done all right over the last seven years. Yeah. You're actually and, young, younger. And somehow, yeah, he he keeps uh, getting younger and in even better shape. It's unfair. Well, Brad, I, I, why the second book? Um, the first book was wonderful. The second book is just as wonderful. But do we really need another book on Amazon and Jeff Bezos? 
the book that I wrote back back then, the Everything Store, was about the beginning of of the company. It was the, it was really the first fifteen years, the the rise of Amazon, its near death during the dot com bust, and then its uh, its kind of revival uh, with the Kindle and Prime and AWS. And when I published the book, it was probably a hundred billion dollar market cap. Today, it's one point six trillion. Andrew, it's a completely different company. It's the it's the uh, the Alexa company, not the Kindle company. Uh, Bezos himself has transformed in front of our very eyes. You mentioned the yachts that he's building. That's actually a detail from my book, Amazon Unbound, that he is secretly building these two yachts. He was not a yacht guy when I wrote the Everything Store. He was focused on the company and company building. And so it's not just about a, the company's transformation, it's about the complete evolution uh, of the wealthiest person in the world, his uh, his appearance on the public stage, not as just an entrepreneur, but as you know, an, a member of elite society, his battle with the Trump administration, his stewardship of the Washington Post and Blue Origin, a space company, and his his battle with the National Enquirer, which was uh, you know an interesting saga that happened as I was writing the book. So it's really in some ways the better story, how the big company became so big that it really started to dominate our economic reality. Uh, Brad, uh, the big news or the biggest news, of course, is that Bezos is, he, he announced earlier this year or late last year, he's stepping down as Amazon's CEO, transitioning, using that word in his own paper, the Washington Post, to the executive chair role. Were you surprised with this news or were you uh, expecting it? In, in the moment, of course, I was surprised. I think everybody was, um, you know, that he would step away, at least from the day to day operational role of the company that had defined his legacy that he, you know, had nurtured from his garage back in 1994. But, you know, or, uh, yeah, 1994. As I thought more about it, though, I realized that actually this was the story I was telling in the book. You know, of someone who, who's where the world opened up to him, and he became a public figure, and he might have gotten lost a little bit in Hollywood and at public events, and having having these parties and events where he was the center of attention, and of course, you know, uh, you know his his marriage breaking up, and um, you know having a new girlfriend, and and starting to take interest in and enjoy some of the trappings of his position, which wasn't always the case. And, you know, so the fact that he was retiring. What do you mean it wasn't for, always the case? It wasn't well, that he wasn't in a shack. I mean, he just no, of course was a wealthy not. guy who, who was married with, well, how right. many, three or four children to a, four a, children, a right. nice wife. So but my, the, my the question idea- is with, 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 um, with uh, Bezos, what has happened to him? I mean, look at this photo with the new girlfriend, Laura Sanchez. He looks as if he's auditioning for James Bond. Um, uh, There's even a piece in the Daily Mail uh, this week by you, of all people, Brad. Uh, I don't usually have Daily Mail. I guess that must be an excerpt from the book. Well, apparently he was, I'm quoting the Daily Mail here, how he was exposed as a love cheat after taking on a Saudi tyrant and Donald Trump in good James Bond fashion. But in all seriousness, what has happened to Bezos? Is, yeah. he, is this a natural evolution or is this something kind of weird? Well, let me just say, first of all, if Amazon buys MGM Studios, as is now rumored, he won't have to audition for the role of James Bond. He could just give it to himself. Uh, but you know, that aside, Andrew, you know, what has happened is he's, he's human. Right. And 
you know, as he became more of a public figure, as the company grew, as he became the wealthiest person in the world, and the attention at these events and parties and inside the company started to all kind of arc towards him, you know, he he started to enjoy it and take advantage of it. I mean, I do, I think to your previous point, yes, he of course he was wealthy. He's been wealthy since the late 90s. But in terms of, you know, it, it, enjoying the explicit and extravagant wealth, he, for example, I report in my book, he started to take helicopter lessons. He he bought two Bell helicopters. Yeah, he but that's buying because, the, yeah. Uh, because the new girlfriend is a helicopter right. pilot. So he needed the look, that. I mean, he's... He's human. He evolved. Um, the you know the world opened up. He be he he had four years of battling with the president of the United States as the owner of the Washington Post. I mean, a lot hasn't changed about Bezos. He still gets into the details of the companies he operates. Um, he he's you know he's an innovative uh, a source of new ideas at Amazon and the Washington Post. He's a micromanager. He has high standards. He can be difficult, but clearly he's more comfortable now moving in elite society than he ever than he ever was. He seems to be enjoying it. I have to admit that I'm uh, I'm a big admirer of Bezos on the business front. I'm more ambivalent on the personal front. This kind of stuff to me suggests uh, something somebody who isn't particularly innovative. The thing about Bezos is his whole life has been defined by his his ability to innovate. He's just another wealthy celebrity now, isn't he? Okay, well, I understand that sense of disappointment. And I would say that I, I do think that there probably are executives at Amazon and elsewhere in Bezos's world that share it. That this idea like, well, wait a second, you were the most disciplined guy in the world. And you know, counseled us all to you know represent the the brands proudly, um, and and to be sort of caught up in a tabloid scandal was surprising to a lot of people. But that said, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't think he's just another wealthy celebrity. He he, you know, he first of all, he's the wealthiest uh, celebrity that, yeah. that there is, um, and I do think he 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 still has a pretty special intellect. And, and an oh, unwillingness. No about that. I, I'm not yeah. suggesting otherwise, uh, but there's something slightly odd about him going from one marriage to another. Uh, say something about the original wife, Mackenzie, uh, who mm. who wasn't very kind to you. Um, right, I got the one right. star review. You got yeah. the one star review for the first book. And then uh, Jeff Bezos gave her the one star review. Uh, what's the story on Mackenzie? Well, you know, here was someone who went was going in the kind of opposite opposite path of of her former husband in terms of not enjoying the spotlight. I mean, it was this was by her own admission in a Vogue interview many years ago. Just didn't, you know, didn't enjoy the the public stage. Was is a private person, really absorbed in the in the lives of her four kids and in her writing career. And I don't know, like, look, does any she really have a writing career? I mean, yeah, she's written two. She's written two novels. Um, are they any good? Now, now, <laughs> I hope they're better than. I, I give, hope better than their review uh, than her review of your book. I I would say I I have read them, and I would give them. I would rate them significantly higher than than she rated uh, my book. Stars, but that aside, Jeff? how many? You're stars? really being pesky. Three? You're being pesky right now, Andrew. I don't know. I, I read them a long time ago. Uh, four stars. I'll, I'll say four stars for both of them. Um, 
But I was going to say, um, you know, she just moved in the opposite direction. We don't know. We can't know what happens in any marriage. But, you know, she got a, in a significant financial settlement. She's one of the wealthiest women in the world right now. And it's interesting because she has been giving that money away at blazing speed to, mm. to, to climate organizations, social justice organizations, minority colleges. In some ways, in a, in a way that suggests maybe a little bit of distaste for the Amazon fortune. And that's my speculation, but you know, we, you can only read things into it. She is so private. Well, enough, enough vulgarity, Jeff. Let's talk about some serious stuff. Um, your book is, is, is full of interesting commentary on um, the history of Amazon between 2013 and 2021. Um, there was a headline this morning about Amazon unveiling, again, unquote, unquote, the nature-infused HQ2 design um, in Arlington, Virginia. Um, and of course, that comes on top of New York City's decision to cancel the H2 plan. And uh, a couple of years ago, I interviewed the author of New York, New York, New York uh, yesterday, Thomas Deja, and he was... For him, uh, the, the the pushback of New York against uh, uh, Amazon and, and and Bezos was its uh, was, was something that he wanted to show off about. Uh, what's the the takeaway on this H two HQ two story? Right, and and Andrew, I tell I, I devote a chapter in the book to HQ two. Amazon was really fleeing a kind of political storm in Seattle, where they felt just that they were being blamed for every urban ill known to man homelessness, gentrification, rising housing costs. And HQ2, you know, was this effort to say, okay, well, who wants us? Who will roll out the red carpet? And it was a year and a half of supplication and, and cities falling all over themselves. And in the end, they kind of blindly run into New York where the same political storm is waiting for them. And they're play and, the, and, 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 the city is fearful of all the same things, and ultimately it devolves into a battle over whether Amazon will allow unions. And that is, you know, Jeff Bezos is kryptonite. He he doesn't want to see a union at Amazon, and they pull out. And Why? It, it just, what, what, you know, what, is, what, what has Bezos got against unions? He can still make significant amount of money. He, he's not a bad guy, and he's an extremely smart man. What's the problem with unions for him? They view a unions, a, uh, an organized labor and collective bargaining as an impediment of, of their ability to, well, like, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to phrase it in their favorable way. Let's just say work, um, and excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, Andrew, allergies. Um, you know, they, they have a 24-7 operating cycle. People buy from that website at all hours of the day and night. And they want to. They they have to work their you know their employees ten hour shifts around the clock, mandatory overtime when things get busy. If suddenly a you know the pandemic hits, demand spikes, those workers are putting in 12, 14 hour days over the holidays. Um, they 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 hire, then they fire. That is why people view it as kind of a cruel corporate culture, but it's actually, you know, they view it as sort of key to remaining nimble and adapting to these cycles of customer demand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they view a union as uh, it's going to be a nine to five worker who's making demands and who's there entrenched, asking for more money and no longer doing their best. And I'm trying to phrase this in a way where I'm not taking sides. Um, but, you know, they, Bezos, I, I quote him in the book, be an employee, the, the, 
greatest threat to Amazon is a disgruntled and entrenched workforce. He looked around, he saw the U.S. automakers and their union troubles, and he didn't want any of that for Amazon. Why won't you take sides on this, Brad? I mean, it's it's one of the core issues, not just in Amazon, but in the future of, of the American economy. Right. Uh, another headline this week is Amazon's hiring 75,000 more workers. Don't we all, especially tech journalists, have an obligation to support workers? And, and I absolutely do, Andrew, but I, I feel like I can play. I mean, look, I've written two books now uh, with deep access to Amazon executives and employees. I've talked to probably hundreds of workers. You know, I feel like I can actually play a really vital role by telling the story, by getting in there and being honest about, you know, how we got to where we are today and the advantages and disadvantages. Let me give you a quick example. In this book, I reveal that Bezos very deliberately or early on stipulated that employees in the fulfillment centers should not get any raises after three years unless they would get promoted. And the reason was he didn't want, you know, he wanted people who were stagnating in the, in the, uh, in the fulfillment centers to move on and get other jobs. That is, a, to me, a hugely revealing detail, a symbol of a kind of transactional culture and the kind of detail that I'm bringing in this book that I wouldn't be able to bring if I was purely a critic, of which there are many, or a hagiographer, of which there are many. But instead, I'm trying to tell the story, and I'm doing that by chronicling you know, the voices and the contributions and the decisions that went into creating this beast that dominates the landscape today. Uh, I said earlier that one of the headlines this morning is that a seat on Bezos's rocket, there's something Freudian there, is going for $2.2 million. <laughs> Um, and of course, we know that Bezos, uh, post Amazon, is going to spend more and more time on his space projects. Um, the Atlantic notes this morning that the new right stuff is sort of privatized money and luck. But it seems as if Elon Musk, uh, perhaps a se- I don't know what's his situation today, given uh, given what's happening with crypto, but. Um, Musk is probably the second wealthiest man in the world. They're clearly rivals, and the Musk SpaceX has a competitive advantage over Bezos's Blue Origin, his space uh, company. Uh, this is from the Hill, but you support this in 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 the book. Um, why is uh, why is this not working? Uh, the um, uh, uh, the, uh, the the Bezos space initiative, maybe not quite not working, but why isn't it Amazon? Why hasn't he brought his rapier-like competitiveness to space? He made a couple of, of decisions early on that I think held Blue Origin back. You know, one of them was he was going to invest in it personally and he was going to constrain his investment and he was going to keep the team small and he was going to move step by step. And the first step was going to be a suborbital spacecraft that brought tourists to the edge of space. Elon Musk comes in. He Elon is the you know the the hare, not the tortoise, and he is going right into orbit. And he's not just investing in it himself, but he was raising money from venture capitalists, and then he's getting the government and companies to basically finance these missions for commercial satellites or military satellites or trips to the International Space Station. And Bezos is staying small and Musk goes big and he starts growing space. Are you suggesting that Bezos is the the tortoise here? I've never heard him described as a tortoise. Not only am I suggesting it, it's it's in the Blue Origin uh, uh, coat of arms. 
and in the mission statement, be the tortoise and not the hare. It, it, you're right. It's very un-Bezos-like. He wanted to go slow and, and the market changed and SpaceX was a disruptor. And now Blue Origin has changed paths and they're trying to do a lot of things at once. Bezos is sell selling a billion dollars worth of Amazon stock every year to finance it. And that now has seeded a little bit of dysfunction at Blue Origin. So not only are they behind, but the company's kind of a mess. And we will see if they can pull it out. You're right. It's not, it's not that it's not working. It's just that they're late on everything they've promised. Well, speaking of pulling it out, I think that one of Jeff Bezos's most um, distinguished moments was his response to Mr. Pecker of the uh, National Enquirer. Uh, this was his uh, medium piece from February 7th, 2019, when he very explicitly told the National Enquirer to piss off. Uh, I, I have to admire Bezos here. He, he really was willing to stick to his guns. Um, and of course, it reflected uh, a complex situation in which there was a, a sense that um, uh, Bezos's phone was getting hacked by uh, a Saudi crown prince. Um, talk a little bit about that. I know you have a, a chapter in the book about this. What really happened? And and Andrew, I went down the rabbit hole. You know, it just court files, endless court files, interviewing every, everyone you I could. Weren't the, you weren't the tortoise, you were the rabbit, Brad. I guess so. Um, you know, a tabloid journalist, I guess, in this respect. My conclusion was that Lauren Sanchez's brother, Michael Sanchez, delivered the whole kit and caboodle to the National Enquirer. And then Bezos, you know, maybe not disingenuously, but certainly opportunistically, wrapped himself up in the mantle of the Washington Post, wrote that Medium post suggesting that there was cyber espionage or global intrigue, and there really wasn't. I mean, his phone might have been hacked. We actually don't know that. But there's no evidence, and in fact, it would contradict the established evidence to suggest that the Saudis tipped off the inquirer. I, I don't believe that's true. You can see the emails and the documents and the and the sworn testimony from the reporters at the inquirer who were working on it. They had one source who was leading them along, Michael Sanchez. And look, it was a brilliant move by Bezos to cast himself as the def the brave defender of the free press. But that really had nothing to do with what was really going on. Are you suggesting then that it was a lie, that he just made it up? Well, what I was saying, I didn't that I'm not so sure it was disingenuous. If if you're looking at the beginning of 2019, there's some very strange things are true. The Trump administration does loathe Bezos and the Washington Post. Yeah. The Saudis are tweeting at him uh, anti-Semitically, even though he's not Jewish. There was this whole dust up over the Jamal Khashoggi, Khashoggi murder. Plus, so he, uh, he, yeah, his his uh, his real wasn't his real father uh, from the Middle East. No, Bezos on. Confusing no. him with Steve Jobs. No, Steve Jobs. Yeah, you're right. right, right. right. He was Syrian. He was Syrian. Um, so it had, uh, so there were reasons why they might have thought this was part of a political conspiracy. And I do think that maybe opportunistically they grabbed onto those. And it was a perfect defense. And boy, did sympathy swing over to Bezos' side. But the, you know, the facts were ambiguous at best. And now with a little bit of, of clarity in, in, in uh, looking back, I don't, I, my judgment was, and maybe one day we find a smoking gun and I come back on the show to say I was wrong, Andrew, but my judgment was, and I think the FBI concluded that this was not a part of a grand political conspiracy. 
Well, at least we got no thank you, Mr. Pecker, which is Jeff Bezos's, I think, his finest, his finest uh, writing uh, in his career. Maybe he can turn it into a novel. Um, there were also rumors that um, uh, that uh, Bezos's uh, fight with the the Crown Prince had something to do with Khashoggi, uh, the Washington well, it does. Sure. columnist. Uh, talk a little bit, uh, Brad, about the ownership of the post. Is it just a mosquito bite for him? Is it meaningless or is it a big deal? When he wakes up in the morning, does he think about the post? I think so. I mean, he has talked about it as, as some of the work he takes most pride in. Um, you know, he, he has used it as a laboratory for his business ideas and his method of operation. He meets the, with them once every other week on Wednesdays. He's told them to bring him new things, new ideas and services. And the turnaround at the Post, and, and maybe they got lucky because of Trump and the interest in, in, in the news, but the turnaround at the Post has been remarkable. It's probably helped Jeff's image. Yeah. Um, you know, it'll, it, it paper. A, I mean, clearly it's, yeah. um, it's, 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 it's again, a, a great achievement. I don't know if it's Jeff Bezos's achievement, but it's certainly Partly. a very fine paper Partly. and, and, and yeah, digitally and, it's done a remarkable job. Yeah. And what a calling card he's had in Washington, DC. I don't think he got it for the explicit purpose of wooing politicians. And if that was the case, it probably hasn't worked, but he is now, he owns a house in DC and he's a member of that community, maybe in a way that he's never been in Seattle, where he was very invisible for a number of years. But but in Washington, D.C., people know him and he's very visible. Well, maybe you know we talked about him being James Bond. He really is the man with the golden gun. Um, there also was a lot of stories, and, and you cover this in your book, The and I'm quoting from the New York Times, the epic battle between Trump and Bezos is on. Uh, and uh, The Guardian talks about what the feud really was about. Um, what what was the feud about? Was it meaningful or was it all theater, the, the Trump-Bezos disagreements, which were played out in very public ways? Right. I mean, this was Trump theater, right? He, he and now we're going to veer into politics, but he couldn't abide, you know, um, scrutiny and, and hard news coverage. And so he would go after the institution's you know, that were behind the reporters who were doing their jobs. And we saw it across the board, but the Post being the DC paper was, was you know, among the closest to it. And he, he, he found it useful to wage war against Jeff Bezos and conflated the ownership of Amazon and, and the Washington Post. And I have the emails between Bezos and Jay Carney as his PR guy at Amazon, a former Obama uh, press secretary. And Carney was asking him not to engage. And yet I think Bezos' pride in the post and maybe his vanity, he got into the muck and he was tweeting at, at Donald Trump. And look, and, and in the end, Amazon lost the Jedi contract to Microsoft. That was a $10 billion contract. It had all sorts of you know, charges about its relationship with the U.S. Postal Service. And so, you know, clearly those were going to be four rough years for Bezos, as they were for most owners of media institutions who constantly had to deal with this, uh, you know, uh, mm, let's call him, um, you know, volatile U.S. president. Well, it may have been four troubling years, but uh, the last year for Amazon has not been troubling. Their profits are up 220% in COVID. They've had a very good plague. Um, uh, they hope um, that the, this is from the BBC, that pandemic habits stick after profits triple. In other words, we just keep on ordering stuff from Amazon. 
Um, as I said earlier, they're about to hire 75,000 more workers. Uh, I know you you spend some time in the book on COVID. Does this has this had a, a structural impact? Um, John Harris in the um, in the Guardian, one of Amazon's best critics, says that uh, Amazon how he has a piece how Amazon became a pandemic giant. I think they were already a giant before the pandemic, and why that could be a threat to all of us. Is Amazon more of a threat now post COVID? Does it worry you more? Does it keep you up at night? I don't know if it keeps me up at night, but it certainly is uh, more of a competitive threat. It, it received a, a a shot of steroids, and you know, through the pandemic, with stores closed or people fearful of going in them, it grew like gangbusters. Hired hundreds of thousands of new workers, built new fulfillment centers closer to customers, more data centers, and so what that means is even when things return to normal. Amazon Amazon's service is going to be that much better. It basically, you know, had all the advantages going in and then received even more of them. And look, I you know, now it's in funneling that income into opening physical grocery stores and building even more fulfillment centers. I just think it was already difficult to compete with. Now it's impossible. And frankly, regulators and lawmakers have their work cut out for them because this doesn't look like any kind of conventional monopoly. You know, it's it operates in very large markets. It's an incredibly detailed, complicated, and secretive business. So teasing out the little connections between the the parts of the company, and and figuring out what new laws or regulations you can pass that curtail the growth and don't end up emboldening it or further accelerating it is going to be a really tremendous challenge. Uh, Brad, when we met. Uh, when we did meet physically, actually, in pre-COVID times in 2013, I asked you uh, in your uh, in your book, uh, The Everything Sort, to summarize in a minute Amazon's achievement. Um, you've had seven more years to think about that. You have a new book out, uh, Amazon Unbound, Jeff Bezos, and the Invention of a Global Empire. Very briefly, what is the Amazon parable? It's right. the central parable of our early 21st century in economic and cultural, political and philosophical terms, isn't it? Absolutely. It's it's using technology to constantly disrupt the rules of business and to expand in the different industries. Uh, and then it's the reason I call the book Amazon Unbound. It is un, seemingly unbound from the, the laws of gravity that bring large companies down to earth. Most companies get big and kind of choke on their own bureaucracy. Bezos has figured out this sort of ingenious kind of cultural framework that pushes his employees very diff very hard, makes the culture seem mean to many of them, but that nevertheless has been kind of brutally effective. And that is what the book is trying to tease out, how he built it, how they got here, and what, if anything, how competitors and regulators should do about it. Well, there you have it. Brad Stone, the Philip Roth of the tech world. Uh, are you going to do a Philip Roth and write a trilogy on Amazon? Are we are we waiting for a third book or have you had it now? Enough is enough with Jeff Bezos. Yeah, I feel like I've had it. But Andrew, if in 10 years there's another remarkable story as, as good as this one, yeah, who knows? But well, for let's, now, I'm let's a little tapped out. Brad, I'm going to... Let's say we meet again. We met in 2013, 2021. So 2029... What's the headline about Jeff Bezos going to be in 2029? And I'll have he's you back on to see if you get it right or not. He's living on Mars and his armies and Elon's armies are, are circling each other warily. And of course, then we'll, we'll talk again. And we'll have to do it from Mars.
we'll be on the moon. Well, Brad Stone, always an honor. Congratulations. I'm sure another bestseller, another remarkably well-written and well-researched book about the most important story of the 21st century. Keep well. Congratulations. And next time we'll do this in person. Thanks again. Thank you, Andrew.